time on episode 394 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we talk What If Ultron 1 from the Disney Plus Marvel series What If, season 1, episode 8. We talk weekly Marvel news, including admissions about What If from the series showrunner A.C. Bradley, the new plan for Disney Plus's Ms. Marvel series, the hit-or-miss philosophy of future Marvel Studios-related projects, Disney suing people over Marvel issues, and an update on that Agent Carter short, and your feedback. I'm Chris from Play Comics, a show where we look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material, a part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other astonishingly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the shield director. Now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm consultant Chris. And I'm producer of the show, Director SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show. The show is recorded on Thursday, September 30th, 2021, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast multiverse-wide via www.geeks.live. Come and join our live chat as we record. Hey guys, happy International Podcast Day. I think we're celebrating it correctly. Indeed. This is a podcast? Yes, Chris, it is indeed a podcast. It is distributed via RSS feed after it's been produced, and we have been doing as such with this show since 2013. Now, International Podcast Day has been around for a few years. We've had the honor of podcasting on International Podcast Day on this very podcast before, usually on a Sunday night, if I remember correctly in the past, but we get to do it today, so we're celebrating it as we should be as live streaming and podcasting day. And if you want to observe it, go out, create your own podcast. You could listen to a podcast and definitely tweet out hashtag international podcasting day. All right, we're doing all that. So we're going to (laughs) move on with the rest of the show. Legends of shield is a fan based podcast on the Marvel cinematic and comic book universes. Because of needing a hand. If you'd like to talk to us about Needed a Hand, head on over to the website, legendsofshield.com. You can send us a voicemail at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. You can head on over to the Legends of Shield Facebook group. You can find us on Twitter at Legends of Shield. You can look at our hands, maybe, if you look over on YouTube at youtube.com slash gunageek. You can join our Discord server at gunnageek.com slash Discord. And don't forget that Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the Gunna Geek Network, where we all like to give each other a hand. I think you guys know me long enough. I don't stoop to puns that level. (laughs) Anyway, thank you very much. We are going to be talking a lot of great stuff, so we're just going to get right into it right now.
We're going to be discussing What If Ultron 1, Season 1, Episode 8 of What If, which premiered on Disney Plus Wednesday, September 29th, 2021. The IMDb description reads, Natasha Romanoff and Clip Barton seek to destroy killer robot Ultron following a cataclysmic event. Chris, why don't you run down who directed the episode? This episode was directed by Brian Andrews. He has three directing credits going all the way back to 1999, which is further away than I like to think about. Three of those were Men in Black, the series, five on Jackie Chan Adventures, and eight episodes of What If? He's also been a storyboard artist with 41 credits there and nine writing credits to go with all that talent. Yes, and Lauren, who was the writer for the episode? The writer is a familiar name by now, Matthew Chauncey, who has two writing credits starting in 2018, including 16 of Three Below, Tales of Arcadia, and nine of What If, where he's been the story editor for all episodes, but has a written by credit for five. And Chris, who was the showrunner? Continuing as the showrunner role, we have AC Bradley. She has five writing credits going back to 2005, one of which was Arrow, which if you want to hear us remember which one that was, you can check out last week's episode. 28 episodes of Trollhunters Tales of Arcadia, 38 episodes of Three Below Tales of Arcadia. Be sure to check out both of those shows and nine episodes of What If. For the record, I just want to point out IMDB lists these three in their roles that we just stated. However, I watched the credits very intently this week. And Matthew Chauncey was not listed in the credits at all. And Brian Andrews was not listed in the credits at all on screen. But we know that they've been involved. So AC Bradley was listed as the executive producer. Just want to point that all out. And also music was by, and this is new. We haven't talked about this yet, but the music was by Laura Cartman, who has 139 composing credits starting in 1989. She is the winner of the Primetime Emmy for Outstanding Music Composition for a Documentary Series or Special Original Dramatic Score for the Why We Hate 2019 episode, Why We Hate Tools and Tactics. She also did the HBO series Lovecraft Country in 2020, the Craft in America TV series documentary, 18 episodes in 2013. And L.A.'s Finest, which was a TV series with 13 episodes in 2019. That is within her 139 composing credits. We haven't talked about the music yet. I've enjoyed it. It hasn't really been profound. It hasn't really been like the thing that's keeping me in. But it definitely isn't something that I've been like, huh, what is this? So I think she's been doing a good job. There's like a really fine balance that composers have to work when they're scoring movies and tv shows where you want it to serve the story but not necessarily overwhelm it and this is one that in this series it's like yeah i haven't really noticed the music this episode i feel like it was maybe a little more on display she's doing a good job of making it fit the universe this definitely isn't one where I'm going to be at work or at home and say, oh, you know, I really have to listen to the soundtrack or the score for the series. But I, I'm really enjoying what's happening with it. And, you know, if it came on, I certainly wouldn't go turn it off either. I think the most memorable episode that I think that the music score aided was the Doctor Strange episode. Yeah, that the music there was really intense. I dug it. Right. So I think she's doing a great job. Hopefully next week we'll get 
some more of her as well. Okay, I'm looking at more of her credits. If anybody ever played EverQuest 2 back in the day, she did the music for that and all the expansions. And wow, she has an absolutely amazing resume. Yeah, I just picked out the biggest things in there. But like I said, she has 139 composing credits, which is pretty cool in this day and age. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to this what if episode, which is what if Ultron won. What are your overall thoughts on this, Chris? Overall, I feel like this is the first to be two part episode, and it definitely shows. So I don't want to hold that against it, but I definitely feel like of everything, this story is definitely not done. Okay, so granted, of course, because the Watcher had a much more prominent role in this episode, you were the first one I thought of. But additionally, we're learning a little bit more about how the Watcher handles the multiverse. And it's like the most terrifying case of fourth wall breaking right there. Yeah, literally wall breaking. We'll get into that later. I thought the episode was great. It really combined... And I knew it was coming. We talked about it before. It really brought everything together or started to at least. And I thought that it was the payoff for watching this for two months and finally getting somewhere of like, okay, here we go. We're going to get to the payoff this week and next week with the finale. So this is technically the penultimate episode of season one, which is great. We've been following the voiceover or the voice acting credits and the performances this entire time. The first one that we have been going through each episode is Jeffrey Wright, who does play The Watcher. We'll talk about him in a second. You might remember him for his credits on Westworld, The Hunger Games, Casino Royale, and Quantum of Solace. He had a very prominent role in this episode. He interacted with characters. He talked. And you know what? Before we get into it, Chris, why don't we just do the Watcher Watch segment right now, and I'll turn it over to you. We have full-on 100% transparency here. This is not a drill. This is finally happening. This is what I've been waiting for. All right. So the story, as he says it at the beginning, broke his heart. And I'm just going to say it. He did not know when to button up his mouth and stop talking. He was looking through that glass, looking through that wall, looking straight at Ultron and narrating everything he was doing, including (laughs) when he turned around, looked at him and he's like, oh, he notices another presence in the universe. And oh my gosh, uh, I need to close this window now. (laughs) Yeah, that was really cool. I know I've seen this in some other fiction. It's escaping my mind. What right now? My brain's a little fuzzy today. But, you know, we've seen the Watcher poke at the story a little bit, most specifically with the Doctor Strange episode, I think. And with this, he's front and center. And we're seeing where exactly he has put his limits when it comes to being involved. I think it was the threat to the entire multiverse that finally got him off his butt because even before that he was like oh should i intervene should i not intervene when they were in the arc of the lost covenant government warehouse there get into that in a little bit but he had an oath not to intervene he almost broke it because he knew the complexity of the issue that was going on at that point he didn't he eventually broke his oath because ultron came after him literally physically 
and mm-hmm. they went through all the multiverses and then he finally had to beg for Doctor Strange's help and finally got it. And I forget what the name of the I want to say it's Supreme Strange is the character name of what they're calling it. So he was begging. Doctor Strange made him beg for his help. He's like, "Oh, I can't believe I'm doing this, but okay." And I could see why he was like, "I don't want to do this or I can't believe I'm doing this because he is very powerful. I mean, he put on his super suit and he was really <laughs> going toe to toe with Ultron there in that fight. I can't think of anybody else who we've seen in the series I mean, besides Captain Marvel that we saw for a little bit who could actually hang with Ultron like that. So I, mean, I kind of wish Watcher had done it earlier, but he has his oath. So yep. you got your two little battles there to worry about. And if he could time travel back a little bit i think he would have gone back to intervene but i don't think he can time travel which is odd because you would think you could go to a multiverse and go back in time and then come back i don't know i was going to make an analogy to watching tv but now we have the rewind function on our dvrs so the metaphor falls apart definitely magic okay let's move on to jeremy renner who played clinton barton again he was in 28 Weeks Later in The Hurt Locker. In this episode, he had a cloak of invisibility, which we haven't seen before. He had a metal arm. He has his middle name enunciated as Francis after his Meemaw. It's a family name, <laughs> right? Which my son's middle name is Francis, by the way. At, not after his Meemaw, but after my <laughs> grandfather. Close enough. Yeah, and we know that he has poor team building instincts and... I just have to say this after seeing the Hawkeye trailer. It's a good thing he had a nuclear-tipped warhead on his arrow in order to pull this one off. I really, really dug this performance. I have a lot... Well, I have a lot of good thoughts about the interaction between Clint and Natasha, and specifically Clint. You know, it's this kind of middle ground between the hawk guy clint that i'm hoping we're going to see more of in the series and that you know originated in the matt fraction david aja comics and the more serious world weary clint that we've seen on screen before i really liked that blend yeah i mean you could tell in this one he was just worn out he was done he's obviously going to help because i think he's just been in that hero mindset where he can't not help but he kind of is trying to find his way out at the same time. And that really came across in the performance. I loved how we got the mirror of the end game sacrifice, mm-hmm. whereas it was Natasha that was holding on to Clint this time. And before in end game, it was Clint holding on to Natasha and they both sacrificed themselves kind of the same way, falling down a cliff face or a big shaft, which I believe was the same shaft as we saw in Ultron, Avengers Ultron, I think, when they went back to the the Nemo, or was that Winter Soldier? That was Winter Soldier. I mean, not Winter Soldier, um, Civil War. That I was think. Civil War. Okay. Yeah. So I think that was the same Soviet era power plant, whatever that was, base there. So Lake Bell reprised her role as Natasha Romanoff. We didn't get Scarlett Johansson there. We have seen her in Boston Legal. It's complicated. No strings attached. The Harley Quinn TV series where she played Poison Ivy in a world, which she does the voiceover (laughs) artist as an actress or actor. No Escape, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. She played Vanessa Fisk. 
and The Secret Lives of Pets 2. In this episode, I want to say, if this is the Black Widow that we're carrying forward into the Guardians of the Multiverse next episode, I like her, especially because she's got the shield. She's got the shield, Lauren. <laughs> she's making her papa proud. Yeah, that, oh, I was so happy when I saw that. And I'm real glad that it's a Red Guardian shield and not them just trying to somehow have a Captain America one in there. So spread your characters out. You know, you got more than one shield. Go ahead and use them all. Oh, yeah. I do have an issue with these two that I'm just going to bring up right now. They're the last two people that are alive on Earth, supposedly. We don't see anybody else. There could be other people alive. I don't know. But all the other Avengers are dead that are on the Earth. And because it's basically like the World War Three scenario with war games, the only way to win is not to play the game, but all the missiles with all the nuclear warheads have basically taken out the entire Earth. I'm just thinking the radiation alone would have killed them, if not immediately, very shortly after. So their little saunter through the KGB archives wouldn't have happened. They just wouldn't have been able to survive that long. They had enough fridge. <laughs> yeah. I'm justifying it to myself as they had super special shield anti-radiation meds. But yeah, no, they basically should have melted from the inside out. I mean, even in Battlestar Galactica, after the, the reimagined one that was in 2003, 2004, the people that were stuck on Caprica, they had to deal with radiation. I get why they glossed over it, especially since you're not trying to traumatize the kids that are watching this. I get that, but it's just it took me out of it a little bit. Okay, enough said about that. Let's move on. Toby Jones reprised his role as Arlem Zola. You might know him from his roles in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows Part 1. Lauren, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked the guys that were on with me. Do you know what character he played in Harry Potter? He played Dobby. There you which, go. Which, uh, one of my favorite movie-going moments was I had gone to see Deathly Hallows when Dobby spoilers and it was at an Alamo Drafthouse screening. So, you know, we're all having some drinks. They had the themed drinks and everything. And this very, very drunk guy, a few rows ahead of me, yells, Dobby! And then demanded that we toast. It was pretty great. Yeah, why not? Was there a sock involved? No. Good, 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 good. Okay. Also, Toby Jones was in Your Highness, which is also with our beloved Jane Foster for this universe. The Adventures of Tintin, The Hunger Games, trio of Hunger Games, Catching Fire, and Mockingjay Part 2, who's in Atomic Blonde, and the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance TV series. So yeah, he's been in a lot. Definitely a character actor, just because that's what he does. Mm -hmm. Okay, questions for you guys. I'm a little bit of a cyber guy. I could talk my own about cyber security and stuff like that, but I was scratching my head. What makes Zola's program so good to be able to bring down Ultron? I mean, they were saying he was analog, but even an analog program lives electromagnetically within the digital realm. So I'm a little bit lost there. It kind of breaks my brain in the same way that in Pacific Rim, they're like, oh, this Jaeger is analog and nuclear. And it's like, no, that's I don't think that's a thing. The way that I am justifying it to myself is that because Zola is another full-fledged intelligence that he's capable of holding his own against another full-fledged intelligence, 
and there's they would be playing by the same rules. But again, I am not a tech person. I know nothing. This is me trying to justify it in terms of story. My thinking was that he is, at least this specific instance of him, is so old, so out of everybody's brain of how it's going to work that they wouldn't have been planning for him. So it's kind of like a surprise attack going. All right. Regardless, Toby did a great job of the voiceover. He really did. And I look forward to, because apparently he survived. So I'm looking forward to the, I don't know what we want to call it, Zola Sentry version of Zola continues on. Zentry. Zentry. Okay, there you go. So Ross Marquin reprised his role as... He didn't reprise. He came back. Okay. But as a different character. I was going to say that. So he came back as Ultron. He also played Johann Schmidt in the Captain Carter episode. We'll wait for some more references in a second. He was in Mad Men. He played Paul Newman in one episode. And Chris, I put this in there for you. He was in Phoenix and Ferb, the Star Wars edition in 2014. He played Han Solo. Have you seen that? I have seen all the Phineas and Ferbs. I'm a child at heart. <laughs> you really need to watch it. It's an amazing show. Right. So tell me about Han Solo in that special in 2014. How was he? It's been forever, so I can't pull out specifics on anything. But he did a really good job in there, too. When they have these crossovers in there, they tend to keep them pretty true to what they're pulling them from, but definitely kind of Phineas and Ferb universe them up. So they'll get a little more campy with stuff. They'll get less violence if that needs to go, because this is a Disney kids show. But if you're looking at it, you know, there's absolutely no question what you're looking at at all. Good. So he also, Ross also played as Aaron in The Walking Dead. That's actually his most notable. So he, he goes back and forth between voiceover and live action. He was in the Family Guy TV series. He was in the Blockbuster TV series. He was in American Dad TV series. He was in the Robot Chicken TV series. He was also in the Invincible TV series, which if memory serves correctly, just came out last year. And here is the reference that I was talking about and referring to before. As an aside, he actually was in Infinity War and Endgame as the Red Skull slash Stonekeeper. So I thought that was, I didn't remember, we must have talked about it during the movies, but I I thought it was the original actor. It was not. It was Ross. He does a fantastic Hugo Weaving voice match. He also played Ultron, so he did technically reprise his role. He played Ultron as the voice in the Avengers Damage Control video game. So technically that was a reprisal there. And as an aside note here, I mean, he got into the Watcher bubble. And once you're in that bubble, I mean, you got the whole universe there. So I think Ross did a pretty good job. And his voiceover was great. I really appreciated him. You got the sandwiching in between Vision and Ultron you know, the voices from the movies. I think he did a great job there. So moving on, Josh Keaton reprised his role very briefly, like incredibly briefly as Steve Rogers. He has been in as a child actor, Dr. Quinn, medicine woman, TV series, boy meets world TV series. He also voiced young Hercules in the 1997 animated movie Hercules. He was in the green lantern animated TV series 
He was in, most notably, his Voltron Legendary Defender TV series. And this guy's got over 200 video game and animation voice over titles to cover the state of Texas. I mean, not as many as 800, but <laughs> he's got enough. Very respectable number. And in case you missed it, in case you were like, I didn't see Captain America in this. Well, you didn't. You saw President Rogers in this one, or at least one that was being sworn in. So that is what you saw on the, I don't know if it was supposed to be Times Square. It was Times Square. It's like the Times Square Titan Tron or whatever. Very briefly. So I got a question for you guys. If he is, let's just assume, this might be a bad assumption, but let's just assume he's being sworn in as president. Who would he have run with as his running mate for vice president? Oh, I was going to say Natasha, but I'm not sure. Are there rules that the vice president has to be American? Yeah, born in America. Yeah. In that case, Sam. Okay. Chris? I could roll with that. Like, my first thought, honestly, was Sharon Carter, but. Don't think that would work out well with a president, vice president thing. Yeah, you want somebody who's a good talker as your vice president. And Sharon's more of an action person. You had me at Sharon. I'm just going to go with it. I was going to say Carol Danvers, but I'm going to go with Sharon because you said that. Sharon could be secretary of state. She could. Honestly, I don't think Sharon would have an official role. She would just be the hey, I need you to go help me take care of this thing kind of person. The fixer? The, the White yes. House fixer? Yeah, okay. I dig that. Audience, if you have an idea, now let's just assume that Steve Rogers is being sworn in as president. That's an assumption. Who would you pick as his running mate in that universe? Or any of his cabinet members. I'm curious for any of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Go hit us up on Twitter or on our Discord. Mick Winger reprised his role as Tony Stark. He has been, we talked about him many, many times before. He was in the Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes TV series, playing Tony Stark. He did voice work for Kung Fu Panda series. He was in that Voltron Legendary Defender TV series that we keep on bringing up for multiple characters. He was in the Attack on Titan TV series. And I'm just going to bring this up now so we don't have to talk about it later. I am now sick and tired of how AC Bradley has killed Tony Stark so many times in this what if. There is no alive Tony Stark. In every single version, Tony dies if he's on screen. What is up with that? His death is a nexus point. (laughs) But it's not. I mean, in our universe, he does the snap. Yeah, but then he dies. Yeah, but at least he makes it to the snap. (sighs) Still dies, though. Chris? She's just mad that she couldn't get Sean Bean in here somehow, so she had to take that out of someone else. Uh, Tony Stark, the Sean Bean of the MCU. People were saying he's the Kenny of the MCU now, or at least oh. the Kenny of What If. <laughs> Ooh. Right, so Alexandra Daniels, she reprised her role in the What If series as Carol Danvers slash Captain Marvel, most notably from Mothers and Daughters, doesn't really have any other notable roles other than that and as an aside we were talking about her pulling her punches during the thor party right she didn't want to explode the whole planet well we figured out if she does use her whole powers she does end up exploding planets she exploded a solar system well i think she had a little help with that with yeah the ultron the super powered ultron but yeah 
It was bad for the solar system. Okay, I've saved this credit for last because as you're watching the episode, the credit doesn't come up until after the episode. So in the IMDB credits, he's listed as like number two. But in the actual credits, they wanted to surprise you, so they didn't throw his credit on until the end. We're talking Benedict Cumberbatch reprised his role as Dr. Stephen Strange, or as we were talking, the Supreme Strange. He has been in roles as Stephen Hawking in Hawking, War Horse, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, Star Trek Into Darkness, The Imitation Game, Zoolander 2, Sherlock, The Grinch in 2017, and 1917. <laughs> little bit of a difference there yeah difference and this is the one this is the super powered strange this is the one that's absorbed all the creatures over the course of his own episode and he, he's the only one left in his entire universe and he makes the watcher beg he's like oh no i want to hear you say it well let's let's go on here and i don't know if that's a little bit of strange projecting onto the watcher or if that's just him like, oh, you wouldn't help me before. I know you were there. You didn't help me. So I want you to ask me for this. I think it's that. That's definitely the way I took it. I mean, it was definitely a, like, I'm going to be a little bit of a butt face, Dr. Strange. and I want to hear you say it kind of deal. Not really malicious, though. We knew it was headed this way, but my lamenting on this is that we're not going to get the, like, the decent cape. We're going to get the, I don't know, trans formed cape that's probably absorbed some of these bad juju magic powers or whatever because the cape battles the cape was awesome and so oh no the cape survived in the zombie world yeah okay there we go all right we got through the voiceover cast we have to do it because they did an amazing job in this whole thing i listened to an interview where ac bradley was telling of the people that she met in their voiceover and those that she couldn't be there for because she's got a billion different things that she was doing. And there was just some people that she couldn't be there. But on another one of her series that she was doing, Mark Hamill came in and she made sure she was there for that. And she was telling all about it. And apparently the Mark Hamill character was slated to die. Nobody told him before he showed up and read his lines. And so they felt so bad that they actually made the character still alive so mark hamill could come back so the power that mark hamill has even outside of star wars let's talk more in depth about the episode i think the biggest thing that i had off the bat was many many people including us when we were talking about infinity war said this whole thing could have been averted many many different ways and ultron proved that this could have been the end game definitely could have been averted by just taking out Thanos in many, many different ways. In this case, it was just the soul stone just zipping him from bottom to top in half. Before I even saw the episode, I saw people freaking out about that on Twitter. Like, he could have done that the whole time? So how I took it was that our vision is holding back because he's not as ruthless as Ultron. And... That's how I'm explaining it away. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. Either that or maybe our vision doesn't know he can do all that because he hasn't been trying to take out all of humanity yet. So he hasn't had a reason to explore all of his dark evil powers. Hey, baby, want to kill all humans? <laughs> well, 
the whole WandaVision series definitely took him down that path. So we, we know a little bit more about Vision, but this is not that Vision. This is not even the White Vision. This is the Vision that has been transformed into Ultron and then supercharged with all of the other stones. Actually, not yet then. It wasn't until he killed Yeah, Thanos. it wasn't until after he uh, lasered Thanos in half. Directly in half, by the way. The irony, because Thanos is like, let's kill half of the... <laughs> Yep. universe right all things in balance right apparently and it just peeled away it wasn't like half fell and half fell it was like cartoon peel away i love uh martial arts movies where that happens a lot or somebody will have like an absurdly sharp sword you know you see it in kill bill you see it in equilibrium it's a trope so moving on, the next thing I want to talk about, and I know you guys have a lot to say about this, and let me go first, though. The KGB archives, you know, the have you have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, the big government archive. Well, this was the KGB version of this archive. And I just want to say, after watching these two trying to find the file that they were after, I got a simple solution. If I was really trying to hide one of these files, just put it on a top shelf. There's no way that they're going to go up to it. They got maybe third shelf high, maybe fourth shelf, but they didn't get up way up top. And I didn't see any crown lifts around or forklifts or anything like that that could take them up. They weren't really using it to get all that high. So uh, yeah. all I'm saying is if I'm in charge of KGB secrets and if there's a real big secret I don't want to let out, I'm going to put it on the top shelf. Oh, yeah. I want to say it's like a proven fact that people don't tend to look up when they're looking for things. Classic sci-fi slash horror film monsters on the ceiling, right? Oh, yeah. And then we did a ton in Starling Tribune of the Green Arrow just doing the ceiling pose up there on top of the ceiling. You know, nobody will notice this person that's breathing and grunting to stay up on top of the <laughs> ceiling, right? Go figure. All right. You two have a lot to say. Chris, why don't you start? <laughs> All right. So I went into this and I'm like, cool, there's Russian. I'm trying to learn Russian because who knows? I'm a giant nerd. And, you know, maybe let's try to pick some stuff out. So I can't tell what the signs on the shelf say. I'm assuming they're like grocery store style labels. KGB Heidi tip number two, I would say don't label your things very well because people have to read and they don't have a digital thing they can look at. And I knew the first thing I wanted to s that caught my eye was Armin Zola has a big old backwards R in his name on his file. That's just screams like, I want to find a Russian looking font and make it say that because I'm going to struggle my way through this. It's like, I, uh, a couple letters that don't say anything. M is what it, yeah. it says. And at that point, I gave up. The letter N, as in the, you know, the English alphabet, there's no corresponding thing with that exact thing in Cyrillic. There's a flipped backwards looking N and one with a little scoop on top. And those both have sounds that are not Ns. There's also no analog to our letter I. The actual, like, if you want to say something with an I, it's a completely different character. So I was that nerd and wanted to see if anything else on those labels made any sense. I did see, actually spelled correctly, 
or, you know, as using the Cyrillic alphabet and the phonetics, Zach Penn. Then, okay. Who is Zach Penn? Zach Penn is a screenwriter who has worked on various Marvel projects before. Okay. Okay, the other things that I found was May Fan, either Zli or Ellie, because they use the backwards E, which is a Z sound. Grasso? Lshuchua? Rizmili? Sean Poo? Sean of the Dead, maybe? At that point, I gave up. <laughs> I didn't even bother. I was like, okay, a bunch of Russian-looking names. I'm sure there's some Easter eggs in here, but I just, I wasn't. Yeah, the, the Zach Penwin was the only one that made any sense. Well, good on you guys for trying, because I just wasn't, I have trouble enough with English names <laughs> and English words, so I just wasn't. Yeah, it's not enough for me to know languages that still use the English alphabet or the Phoenician alphabet. No, I need to learn hiragana and Cyrillic, too. It's just... Uh. Do you think in this universe, Nat spent her childhood in Ohio? I think so, because that wasn't the, um, the divergence point. Okay, so you think that she's still in this universe? You think her dad was still the Red Guardian? Of course. Okay. So she's carrying around a family heirloom. Yep. With the shield. Is that, I don't think it was ever qualified in the Black Widow movie. Is that shield made of vibranium? I don't believe so. Chris, what do you think? I haven't seen the Black Widow movie, so I can't pull anything <gasps> oh. from that. Ooh. It's okay. I know. I'm so sorry. It's out on Blu ray now, and it's I just, fun. For whatever reason, haven't gotten around to it yet. I have a lot of stuff going fair. on. Okay. Have we talked Black Widow? Did we? We did. Okay. I thought so, but memory is shot. You were on some painkillers and nerves were still growing back and stuff. So, Oh, yeah. Fun times. Yeah, right. All right. Anything else you guys want to talk? There's a couple more things I want to talk, but I want to make sure you guys hit all your points. So, Lauren, you got anything? Okay. So, I freak out every time I see Kirby dots in the animation, which we see when Ultron and the Watcher are fighting. If you see those little, like, black glob-like things... It's a staple of Jack Kirby's art whenever he would be portraying like energy and stuff. So Kirby dots, always good. That multiverse beat down. I loved that. I loved that so much as they were just going, they were breaking through planes of reality. And SP, I think you have something to say about some Easter eggs in that. I do. So they're going through multiple different universes. We already talked about the President Rogers universe. But as they're fighting and, and whatever, there's a couple of, and I will just call them Star Wars Easter eggs. I've seen many, many references to this, and I caught it myself when I was watching it the first time through. The Star Wars world, the lava world of Mustafar came up, and I will definitively say it is the Star Wars world of Mustafar because you can clearly see Darth Vader's castle in the background or the Sith castle, whatever you want to call it. No, it's Vader's castle. He is dramatic. He is a dramatic emo kid. Well, you see some of it in the Clone Wars, too. Exactly. And in uh, Rebels, I want to say. So it is definitively that. However, I will say it's just an Easter egg, and I will say it's just an Easter egg from the standpoint of Star Wars officially took place 
in a galaxy far, far away a long, long time ago. So the timelines just don't add up between the two universes. I know I would love a crossover, a definitive crossover between the two. And if you factor in time travel, yes, you can. But I just don't think it's a direct crossover. I think it's just an Easter egg. They're just throwing in, in there something just like the Stan Lee Easter. I want to talk about that too right now, by the way, the Stan Lee Easter egg that we brought up last episode with the party Thor. And I have now done some research into that. I can't believe we didn't remember this. The Marvel Cinematic or the Marvel Studios have definitively said that there will be no more Stanley cameos. So they were told in the what if episodes that you will not put Stan Lee in as a definitive cameo. So I don't think they did. I mean, we might have seen a zombie Stan Lee, but it was not like a real Stan Lee. So I think yeah. there's references to Stan Lee in here, but you're never going to see a full on face and a actual acting of stanley in any of this stuff i rewatched the zombie episode last weekend and yeah it's while that zombie has kind of a passing resemblance to stanley it's just it's not enough to qualify as a cameo it was probably the animator's way of doing a stanley cameo without actually having a stanley in there so which i completely appreciate by the way yeah in both episodes because I watched that scene several times with Danvers and Thor flying over Tahiti. I'm just going to call it Tahiti. And it clearly looked like a side shot of Stan Lee's face there. So, okay, we'll just pretend that Stan Lee's in here, even though they can't officially do it. So it's the same way here with the Star Wars stuff. Not only do you see Mustafar, you also see Pelusha in here, which if you're familiar with the Clone Wars, it was definitely in the Clone Wars. It was also referenced in a passing scene in the actual movies. Yeah, that's where Ayla Sakura died, and she's like one of my favorite characters, so it was very upsetting. And then also remember, there was an X-Wing hanging in the Collector's Bay there. In the Collector's Collection. Yeah, right. Don't know if it was just a replica or whatever, but it was there. So there have been Easter eggs at least that's how I'm going to go with it. Can we have a consensus here, Chris? What do you think? We did see the 1602 universe too. So maybe yeah. time travels can be involved. All right. I just don't think that they're going to get a go ahead to do a firm crossover between. No, Star I don't Wars think they will either. Not at all. So not an official. Oh man. Those two phantoms together with everything that they want to keep as how they know it. That would be insane. But the fight, let's get back to the fight. The epic fight between the Watcher and super-powered Ultron. That was just, I mean, two ultimate galactic, intergalactic, multidimensional beings just slugging it out. You can't get any bigger, especially since we saw one of them take out Captain Marvel. Mm -hmm. Although the Watcher really didn't have any good fight moves. It was more like, I'm going to use my power. It's like the... 300 pound bouncer that doesn't know anything at the bar and is trying to take care of you know the guys trying to in the bar trying to keep them in line whatever and it just so happens that some of them are special forces they're going to take the 300 pound guy out so it's kind of what happened here in my opinion he had his kung fu block to get the hand off his forehead yeah so he had one move yeah pretty much okay but it was an epic fight, and I, I loved it. I loved going through all the universes, so we've, we've seen quite a bit, some that we haven't seen. And that's another thing that I want to talk about, because we had pontificated what the last couple of episodes were going to be, and I said this was going to be the She-Hulk one, because 
She-Hulk's in the poster and we haven't seen She-Hulk yet, there was a story that said that they had to cut back one episode. They were originally going to have 10. They had cut back one and moved it to the second season. My guess, because She-Hulk's in the poster, is Mm -hmm. that they had planned for She-Hulk episode when they were making the poster, but then slipped that to season two. We might see She-Hulk next week, but how things are going... I tend to believe that it's going to be existing characters and they're not going to add any new characters next week. Could be wrong on that. I don't know. So hopefully we'll get a full She-Hulk episode next season, whenever that's going to be sometime in 2022, because they're already in production. Okay. So yeah, that was that. Lauren, you have anything else? The ending. I was, yeah, my mind was blown when Strange showed up again. Yeah, the main thing for me was just the watcher and he needs to watch his mouth. This is a show for kids and he says the H word. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. They towed the line with this series. AC Bradley has admitted that. I've read her and I've heard her say that with this. They went to Disney Plus and they asked exactly what the line was. And she was talking in terms of the zombie episode. She's like, okay, you know, how far do we really want to take this? And she said she was going to be taking it in terms of the Shaun of the Dead era way instead of like the whatever zombie really gruesome universe that you want to say. The (laughs) last thing that I will say is I think this has all been great. It's been great setup so far within the confines of the MCU that we know within the broader Marvel bundle. We have other characters that have not been brought in on this. just want to mention a few. There has been no Galactus. I think Galactus would be an epic being to be brought into any of this and could have gone toe-to-toe with Ultron. Matter of fact, Ultron was crunching a whole galaxy. That's kind of the size that you think of with Galactus. So I immediately thought of Galactus there. Ultron ate Galactus. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we'll be seeing Galactus in any of these until after they've decided whatever they're going to do with Fantastic Four. And that's what I wanted to bring up, is that there is still a lot of characters on the shelves that we just haven't seen in the MCU, and they haven't been brought forward. There was no Ghost Rider in the series so far. Technically, if you want to say that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is MCU canon, that you could have brought Ghost Rider in from that. There is a version of the character called the Cosmic Ghost Rider that would have been more appropriate for this that we haven't seen. There's a character that I don't know too much about called the Cosmic Jailer that could have been part of this. The character of Blue Marvel has not been in any of this, and I could see Blue Marvel as being a part of this what-if multi-universal series here. Of course, no mutants and no Fantastic Four. So all characters still on the shelf at Marvel have not been brought into the MCU, therefore have not been able to be used within this MCU. And that was the other thing that I want to say with She-Hulk. She-Hulk has not appeared in the MCU yet. There is a She-Hulk Disney Plus series upcoming, and maybe that is why they had to shelve that character because they're maybe at some point in time, the She-Hulk series was supposed to happen earlier. And so they were bringing that character earlier, but they dropped it for next year. All right. The last thing I want to discuss is the what if moment. We've been talking about the what if moment. It's kind of anticlimactic right now, I think. But they mentioned, the watcher mentions what it is here. And it's that in this universe, Ultron actually gets the coffin 
the case mm-hmm. to make a synthetic body. Whereas in our universe, what we see in the MCU, the Avengers team creates vision in that case. So that is the what if. But what do you think happened in order to make that happen? So maybe when the Black Widow was flying away in the truck back or whatever, Ultron's sentries get it or whatever. I did see somebody saying like, yeah, the what if point here was that Scarlet Witch wasn't there to stop it. And yeah, just for whatever reason, I, so I haven't rewatched Age of Ultron in years. Yeah. So I'd have to go back and watch that to see what exactly was going on there. Yeah, I'm personally in the middle of a rewatch. I've gotten to Avengers so far, but not any further than that. And all the fun stuff starts happening after Avengers. So, so Chris, what do you think happened with the case? I honestly couldn't think of a good one for this at all. I've kind of been poking my head at it all day long. And I don't know. I mean, it's just just seems like one of those coin flip kind of things where this one, he just happens to get it. It would have all happened in the Avengers Ultron movie. So that's where it all came together there. And there's some continuity things brought up in this because Ultron went across the universe and destroyed all those worlds. So you get to see the Guardians of the Galaxy where they are. You get to see Ego. You get to see all these things and where they are. And it kind of skirts exactly where things are in the MCU universe at that point in time, I think. There might have been a little fudging of a year or two here or there to get all those worlds where they are. But again, this is what if. So who knows what else happened across the universe to make that. All right. Are we done discussing this penultimate episode of what if? I believe so. Chris? Yep. This was a really fun one and I can't wait to see what happens next. I can't either. This was worth the two month buildup. So next (laughs) week is going to be the payoff for sure. I do really love just as an aside that, yeah, oh no, these are totally going to be self-contained stories. And then we see there's a little bit more to it than that. I dig that. Yeah. I liked how they tried to keep it quiet, but everybody was like, yeah, this is going somewhere, especially with the Hawkeyes like Chris going, Hey, watcher. Yeah. He's getting a little bit more solid over the time. (laughs) All right. So next time we're going to be talking, what if episode nine finale, I have not seen a title yet. I'm actually, to be honest with you guys, I was looking for the title for this one, finally got it on Tuesday afternoon. So it was like 12 hours before the episode went live. We'll see what happens then. In the meantime, we got some news and some feedback to get to. First news story we've got up is Disney gonna sue somebody. Yeah, Marvel suing to keep rights to Avengers characters from copyright termination. Disney's Marvel unit is suing to hold on to full control of Avengers characters, including Iron Man, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Ant-Man, Hawkeye, Black Widow, Falcon, Thor, and others. So there's an issue with the heirs of the estates of like Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, Gene Colan. I know a little bit about IP law. One of my best friends is an IP lawyer, and I'm actually going to try to get her to discuss what exact, you know, what laws. What is actually meant by the termination of the copyright? Because at first glance, it's like, oh my God, they're 
they're going to have these characters forever. Oh my God, the or the Ditko estate is suing to get control back and all of this stuff. And it's the thing with IP law is it's not necessarily as simple as the headlines would have you think. So I'm kind of holding my opinion until I can talk with her more. I'm going to assume with my fully, I am not a lawyer. I'm certainly not your lawyer or licensed to practice in your state kind of opinion that they're probably going to be looking at work for hire stuff because people were hired by Marvel and working on this on Marvel time versus you don't get to control every aspect of what somebody does while they're working for you. And comics is just an industry, especially now where you might be writing for something for Marvel while you're also writing something for another publisher. So just because you're working for Marvel at the time doesn't mean that they own every single thing that you're doing until they fire you. A term that I've heard used, if I remember correctly, and I'm not a lawyer either, is like contract <laughs> for hire, I believe is the term that's being used. Anyway, I don't think any of these people want full control of the IP. I think it's everybody universally is saying it's probably better off where it is right now for yeah, everybody to get to use them. I, I think what's happening here is somebody, some of these estates just want what they think is due to them. So I think there's going to be a settlement out of court, basically. And that's already happened. I think, again, not a lawyer, don't really understand too much about IP law. There's been a lot of worry in recent years about companies. You're supposed to have the rights revert to public domain after a certain amount of time. That's why things like Sherlock Holmes up until like Reichenbach Falls are public domain and why Peter Pan is public domain, just things like that. And as that date's approaching for a lot of Disney characters and most notably Mickey Mouse, you're seeing Disney in particular try to get a lot of these copyright laws rewritten so that they can keep control of that character and keep monetizing it. There's a lot of bad there. Not necessarily bad. I mean, there's something to be said about moving things into the public domain eventually, but there is something to be said about protecting the creative IP of people as well. So the original copyright was, I want to say 25 years and then Congress. Yeah. Then it was 50 years and then it was, yeah, this would apply under pre, I guess, 1976 rewrite of copyright law. I was just asking my friend about, yeah, it's rooted in pre-copyright act of 1976 stuff. So that's different than current copyright laws. And then if you do something with the IP to create something new out of it, then it's something about derivative work or something like that. Again, not lawyers, but again, I think the real thing here is the estates are looking for a out-of-court settlement eventually out of this, and it's just depending on how much it really is, depending on how much the IP has been used. But we'll see. We'll keep our tabs on this. I don't think this is Disney trying to screw anybody, although there is a history of that. So we'll keep our tabs on it. We'll report on it when it happens. My initial take on it is a big, ooh, because... A lot of the original creators for Marvel have been screwed over. We've talked about this in various news stories in the past. 
So we'll see what that means for that. We'll see what that means for movies. There's some discussion of, is this why they're killing off certain comic book characters right now and ending certain titles? Big question mark. We'll see later. It's definitely something they were doing with introducing characters in certain titles because, you know, like, hey, if you show up first in an X-Men book, then you're an X-Men character, then Fox can use you back when those were separate things. So you have somebody show up in a Spider-Man book and they have their one time origin in a Spider-Man book and then they go do their X-Men thing. But it doesn't matter that they're primarily an X-Men character because they originated in Spider-Man that makes that or that at least made them untouchable by Fox for those X-Men movies. Yep. And then also there was the whole thing a couple of years ago about killing off the Fantastic Four comics and stuff like that. Yeah. The next news story that we're going to talk about is all the great projects that Marvel Studios has in development right now. Okay. So according to CBR.com, Victoria Alonso, who is Marvel Studios producer, was asked by 221 Radio if the company had 35 projects in the works. She laughingly replied, we're currently working on 31 projects. Don't add four more, please. And they've assured people that the studio is prepared for some hit or miss project as long as they stay true to the human characters and interconnectedness of the MCU. So we are going to have content for a really long while barring disaster, which is good for us as fans, but just, oh my God, that is so much. Yeah, we were talking before the show, I have been tracking in the show notes over the past couple of months, all the upcoming Marvel projects. I think we went over briefly, like the timing of it a couple of months ago on the podcast, but I've been continuing to track that there's been some changes we've reported on it over the time. I think what we're going to do is sometime after what if we'll take one of the weeks and we'll run down everything that we know about all of these projects that are in work right now. And our count might be different than her count. We'll have to see because it might be some announced projects that have nothing associated with it. Maybe not even a title, maybe just a release date in 2024. So we'll go over that in the future, but she's admitting 31 projects right now. That is a lot of Marvel content over the next four years or something like that. Chris, one of those projects better involve ghost spider because that's what I want most out of the MCU right now. <laughs> well, there might be something like in that in animation right now. We'll have to talk about that. Okay. Moving on into Disney Plus area. AC Bradley admits that they killed Tony a lot. I alluded to this in the <laughs> podcast main topic before, but this was her quote. This was in an EW.com article. Quote, I noticed on Twitter, we're getting a lot of crap for killing Tony a lot. He has become the Kenny of the what if universe by accident. Unquote. That's not accident, AC. You wrote all the episodes. <laughs> you knew what was going to happen to Tony in every single episode. So you know, you knew. It makes me wonder if there's like a bet. Like, okay, at what time stamp are we going to kill Tony this week? Maybe he, maybe she's just trying to prod. Yeah, I could see that. Maybe she's just trying to prod to get the actual actor to come back. But I don't know if she wants to undercut the voice actor. So I don't know. I'm pretty okay with Mick Wingert. He's done a really good job as Tony in the past. And here. Has Robert Downey Jr. done any voice acting? I would have to check. Yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway. I believe so. I think he's done. I'll check. 
Okay. Quickly into the next news story, she is also stated in a Deadline.com article that all the episodes could have been 45 minutes. Some of the animatics were 35 minutes, but due to animation and COVID, we cut them a little bit shorter than we would have liked. Okay. Backtracking a little bit. Robert Downey Jr. has done voice acting. I remember back before Family Guy was canceled the first time, he was Lois Griffin's brother, who I guess was like never mentioned again. He's been in some other stuff, it looks like, but that's the big thing that I remember. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking through a list right now and nothing's jumping out at me. So we'd been talking the last few weeks that the story for a few of them, like the zombie episode, they just, it didn't jive and it felt like there needed to be more there, that there was stuff that happened that were like, that's too much of a jump or something like that. We needed another lead into it. And this new story, this deadline.com story would explain a little bit of that. Whereas if you add five, 10 more minutes to these episodes, you can have a little bit of more of the story development would have made these go a little bit better. That doesn't mean to say that season two is going to be 45 minutes to an hour. They might keep them shorter because they might think that it works better with the audience. I don't know. So hopefully with season two, the stories are a little bit more smoother. I know they followed the comics so far. I know the comics jump all over the place. I get that. But it'd be nice as you're watching it to have a story that's nice and smooth. I think once they know that they're writing for 30 minutes instead of 45 minutes, that does change the way that you pace the story. So knowing, just knowing whatever time period, like time amount they get in advance, I think will uh, definitely help them in season two. Yeah, that's that's the main thing I thought here. I mean, I've always been thinking throughout these whole things, you know, this seems like a condensed movie and some of them work better than others because some movies just have more things that you can cut out more than other movies do. And it's a lot harder to cut something in half than it is to cut a third off of something. Moving on to Disney Plus, Ms. Marvel release has basically been confirmed, although not announced by Disney Plus, but it's been confirmed by multiple sources. The latest was a Variety.com senior entertainment writer, Adam B. Very, who posted in a Twitter tweet, I've confirmed what was obvious to most Marvel Studios observers that Ms. Marvel has moved from a late 2021 release on Disney Plus to 2022. So this has been confirmed now. It's been reported twice others times by other entertainment reporters and this is the definitive nail in the coffin that we're looking at a 2022 release for ms marvel whatever that entails the last news story that i have before i turn it over to chris is i think very impactful because i don't know what it means it could have been a mistake it could have been deliberate it could have been sneaky i don't know but we've reported on this before disney plus And the Agent Carter one-shot, which was originally let out on the Iron Man 3 DVD extras, Blu-ray extras, we said that it had been moved to its own individual spot. In this particular case, it's gone. It's just completely gone. I've gone into Disney Plus and I've looked for it and I can't find it anywhere. doesn't mean that it's not there somewhere. I can't find it and apparently other people on the web cannot find it. So according to thedirect.com, It's been completely removed from Disney Plus. Okay, so what was the one shot on Agent Carter? It was her taking a mission 
she was basically a worker bee. It was post-World War II. Kind of very analogous to the beginning of the Agent Carter series itself. So she was just in a field office and she was being repressed by Colonel Flynn, played by Bradley Whitford. Mm-hmm. I believe that's his last name, right? Whitford. Yes. And they were just saying, oh, honey, sit down. We got this. War is over. Let the man handle it. That sort of thing. Well, she goes out. She handles it on her own, takes care of it. And then she gets back and Colonel Flynn's pissed. Basic's <laughs> going to terminate her. And then we have Mr. Stark himself calling up and say, hey, let's transfer Agent Carter. She's going to run S.H.I.E.L.D. with me. So it worked out. And then there was a post-credit scene to that, which I don't know if you guys remember, they were poolside. It was... Yes, it was Stark and Dum Dum Dugan. Yeah, and Dum Dum Dugan is sitting there, Neil McDonough, right? He's mm-hmm. sitting there with a coffee cup and a blue robe at poolside, and they're looking at these two women, which are wearing a bikini, which was <laughs> a new word to them back then. They're like, ooh, did you, Dum Dum ask Stark, did you invent this? And Stark said, nope, the French did. And he's like, bikini, okay. <laughs> So that was the one shot. So I have no idea why they've taken it down. I'm wondering if they're going to like re-upload it with like the Agent Carter collection or something. But I don't know. Big shrug from me. I'm wondering if they made the mistake in putting it up in the first place or if the mistake is taking it down here or maybe they were trying to move it. And they ran out of server space because uh, that's how confused I am with this whole thing. I'm thinking Disney ran out of server space. (laughs) Okay. I don't think that's possible, but who knows in this, who knows in this day and age, they might've lost the server, right? And they might've had to pull some stuff off because they can't get replacement server, which I think is ridiculous. Hydra hacked Disney. (laughs) It could could be. If you want to see it and it's not available streaming anywhere, you can go to your Iron Man 3 Blu-ray extra features and see it there. All right, that's it for the news for screen stuff. We're going to transition. We teased this before. Chris, what do you got? All right, so looking onto the more interactive screen side of things, Marvel versus Capcom 2, people are trying to get that to come back. There's always been talks about having it happen. Marvel versus Capcom 2 is the definitive Capcom versus something else fighter. And that is the super classic one. So this particular campaign right now was started by Maximilian Dude, D-O-O-D, who is a YouTuber whose content revolves around fighting games and stuff, which he's not somebody I've watched a lot of. I've seen a few things. I mean, I've enjoyed it, but it's somebody I found recently, so I haven't had a lot of time to watch. And this campaign right now is started under the hashtag FreeMVC2, which is your pretty common Marvel vs. Capcom 2 abbreviation. So anybody into the game knows what you're talking about there. And they're trying to gather the support for a re-release of the game onto modern systems, which has not happened for anything for a while. I mean, if you remember Marvel vs. Capcom 2 when that came out was PS2 Dreamcast original xbox so i mean you're looking i don't want to do the math way too long ago (laughs) that those games came out but when you're looking at it now you have to worry about disney lawyers and copyrights that they own and capcom stuff Mm -hmm. and the new character that they made just for this game which is probably going to be the easiest part but you don't have 
the Capcom or Disney momentum to be behind making it her be able to stay in. Yeah, they were talking about character rights on the YouTube video that I was skimming through on this, and I think that's your biggest hurdle with Disney. They thought that they could work through it, but it would still have to be worked through in order to make this possible. So we'll see if it happens. Yep, as we have established, copyright law is tricky. We won't go through the entire character roster here, but you know, if you want to check out another podcast that does... I do have an episode where I looked at Marvel versus Capcom too. And if nothing else, just look at all the characters that I have tagged for the episode posts. And it's a big roster. So it's a lot of people they have to try to pull together. Okay. We'll throw a link in the show notes. And with that, we're going to move on to some feedback. We get a tweet from at Mr. Paracletes, and he instantly made me want this. So well done, sir. Well done. What was it? Just now learned these existed, and it was a screenshot of Marvel cake bites. What are these? These are delicious little cake bites. They're only available. I don't want to hawk any individual store, but I'm going to have to hear they're exclusive to Walmart. So if you go to Walmart.com, you can actually buy some of these. There's three different Marvel versions. There is, of course, many other different versions. But in Marvel, you can get Spider-Man cake bites, Hulk smash cake bites. And of course, the picture that he posted was the Black Panther cake bites. There are three little small cubes, three layers of vanilla cake that's colored, covered with wonderful chocolate frosting. Did you guys see this tweet come through? I'm looking at it right now, and I really want cake. (laughs) I know. I'm very disappointed that the Hulk smash ones aren't smashed, though. <laughs> I wanted to go to Amazon.com and just order them, right? Because I didn't want to go to Walmart to make a special trip. So next time I'm by Walmart, I'll stop by. I was just there the other day getting some stuff. And it's like, if I had known, if I had known, I'm going to have to make an excuse to go. I'm pretty sure Walmart does delivery. Yeah, but I have no follow up to that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> At Mr. Pericolites also tweeted us with a wonderful wedding invitation. Did you guys see this? <laughs> it's so cute. It, it really, really is. is. You are cordially invited to the wedding of Darcy Lewis and Howard the Duck. And it's done with the cards on the left and the right and dice in there. And well, it totally Vegas stuff, right? Oh, yeah. This was one of the uh, quick print cards, I guess, that the uh, wedding chapels out of Vegas do. I don't even know if they do it or not, but Mr. Pericletes showed this to us and it does it. I don't know if somebody actually did this or maybe they just did the art to make it look like it was creased or anything, but it's pretty special. So it's a the link will be in our show notes. Okay, moving on at Andy Migna tweeted us with a question. Yay or nay. And this was a tweet by the Eric Goldman. More hype for Thor The Dark World, Taylor's version. Did you guys hear about this? This was interesting. I saw this this morning that, yeah, Alan Taylor, who directed Thor The Dark World, also did a bunch of Game of Thrones episodes, said that the movie that he filmed and the script that they worked on was much different than the final product. And editorial decisions were made and the studio got involved. And this was right around the time when, right before they got rid of the story group and just put Feige 
as the center point. So this is when we got some of the kind of more lackluster entries into the the MCU canon. I don't know. So I said, I replied, I said, no, I don't think so. I don't think that Kevin Feige is going to even allow this. This won't have the same impact that the fans did with the Schneider cut over in the DC universe. I just don't see it happening because if you do release something like this, then you bring continuity into question. And there's a whole question we talked about at length about the MCU and the canon and the television shows and stuff like that. And Thor, the dark world is part of that whole question so i just don't think they want to revisit it that's just my opinion i don't think it would be beneficial to disney marvel or kevin feige by doing it at this point sometime in the future maybe and matter of fact in the tweet reply that i said is that at some point disney is going to reboot all this it's inevitable whether that's 20 30 40 years from now if it's still a viable property they're going to reboot it they're going to modernize it and they're going to have to in order to include all this into the parks and modernize it into park rides because that's where their big money is right now is in the parks. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on it. Chris, what do you think? I mean, if only Marvel had a way that you could tell a story of, I don't know, maybe what if something happened just a little bit differently and then you can explore just kind of an alternate universe. I mean, like, what if Agent Coulson was brought back to life? Yeah, why not? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I granted, it's possible. I just don't think they want to confuse the matter. No, I mean, you'd have to have a bigger, a much bigger change than what would probably happen here. And they're probably seeing everything that happened, all the divisiveness that the Snyder Cut had. And Marvel doesn't need to have any part of that. I think. For the most part, Kevin Feige has proven his worth in being able to pull off a longer story. It was at the cost of a couple of things, and this is one of the films that it affected for sure, that it didn't quite fit into the larger narrative that they were trying to make. So, yeah, see that. All right, moving on into Discord, we had Alan Run, Jason from the Brain Candy Network. He's going by Beardwatch 2021 in the Discord server now. He said, okay, this week's what if? I think I'm officially over this series. This was last week, by the way. He said, space god frat boy holds intergalactic kegger does not make for a good story to me. And I replied, you know, overall, the series is lighthearted, campy ride that hits some weeks and misses in other episodes, not to mention a few tragic stories along the way, too but I certainly would not take any of it too seriously. This week's episode especially was meant to be more as a fun dalliance, we're talking about the Thor party here, than any other events that could be only told within a cartoon, in my opinion. But all this from a guy who likes The Phantom Menace, dislikes Empire Strikes Back, and is often wrong, so I might just be drinking from the Kool-Aid. At which Erasure goes by Too Lazy in the Discord said, that's what this was one of my favorite episodes too, along with T'Challa Star-Lord and wow, somebody else who likes the Phantom Menace and Empire not so much. Others do exist. The Phantom Menace is one of my highest ranked Star Wars films Why Empire Strikes Back is one of my lowest. Just want to say I'm not alone. There are other people <laughs> that are like me. Like it or hate it. There are other people like me there out are there. Dozens of us. <laughs> yeah, there's dozens. <laughs> Yeah, not everything is going to be for everyone. We've discussed it before. 
And so, yeah, for some people, obviously, the lighthearted episodes aren't really working for them. And for other people, it's kind of a necessary pick-me-up, uh, cough, cough, me. The lighthearted episodes have been weirdly lined up with when I've had a day at work where I really need to come home and see a lighthearted episode. So I'm a little bit worried about how much the Spy Network is going over at Marvel and Disney. But other than that, I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> Those Marvel snipers are everywhere, just listening in constantly. Right alongside the FBI agent assigned to your computer. And the NSA, yeah. Beardwatch 2020 posted today, though. Interesting finale. Probably the best episode of the series, though it raises some questions about how things should have gone during Infinity War. Now, we talked about the Infinity War. I'm just going to mention right now, interesting finale. This is a penultimate episode. This is not the finale, so I think... I don't know what he was drinking at the time, or maybe he was just saying this episode combined with the next episode, but he was sold about having to come back and, and watch things. But yeah, the Infinity War, many, 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 <laughs> many, many, many questions on that. All right, Lauren, what should we do right now? I'm going to say that we bust through several multiverses on our way out. Thank you, everybody who's been downloading the podcast. And I know that there are people out there that are downloading and listening to this podcast. And I am thanking you right now for sticking with us through this what if coverage. I know it's been a turnoff for a couple of people the last couple of episodes, but now we've got the payoff. So stick with us. We'll hit the finale next week. And I also want to say thank you very much, Chris. You have come in, you have taken the temporarily vacant chair and you have done amazing work with it so thank you very much for joining us on this journey well thank you for letting me come and join you on this journey thank you to everybody who's been listening and likes hearing me here and telling sp how much you love me because i know that's happening and if you haven't done it that's what tomorrow is for mm -hmm. i get a message or two every week it's <laughs> from your wife but i'm paying her to do that by the way and if people want to find you, in addition to the episode that was linked earlier in the show notes, where can they find the rest of your work? The easiest place is to go over to playcomics.com, where I've got episodes looking at games and how they relate to comics. I've got episodes talking to creators and their cool stuff. I have some cool things coming up there. Um, fortunately, I can't really drop a new thing on y'all because I haven't gotten it all ironed out yet. So I don't want to tell you about something that haven't not happened. You're interviewing Stanley, aren't you? <laughs> yes. Okay. Or no, definitely one of those. The Stanley that's on Tahiti right now, right? Oh, yeah. Exactly. And I want to thank everybody who's gotten a hold of us, whether it's through Twitter, through Discord, just anything. We love hearing from you, whether or not the series is working for you. Yeah, just let us know your opinion. Let us know what your favorite moments of the series have been so far, or least favorite moments, you know, whatever. We're not really that picky. Thank you. Thank you for letting us know that we are not alone in watching all of this. And until next time, where we find out what an old guy is doing in a pocket room with a squid person, I'm Director SB. I'm Agent Lauren. And I'm Consultant Chris. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, 
go to gunnageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. Lauren, can you hear me? Hey, yeah, give me a sec. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. I don't have my camera on or my uh, light. I was going to say, if you don't have your camera on, we have an issue because I can see you. <laughs> it's the Venom reviews. Game. Quickly paced and incredibly dumb. I am happy. <laughs> I saw, I, I retweeted a tweet earlier. Actually, let me just find it. It was really fun and I haven't tweeted much today. So, critics are piling on the carnage atop Tom Hardy's Venom sequel, calling it a ridiculous mess and a porn tentacle fest that feels like the mold in the Avengers' shower. No, wait, a Tom Hardy porn tentacle fest, you say? To which someone replied, This is what I meant when I told a straight white male comic book gatekeeper that he's not the actual target audience of this movie. It's all of us monster who were like really happy with the weird odd couple relationship in the first one. Okay. Do you think they realized what they said when they said they have carnage on top? <laughs> Absolutely. Do you remember the uh, interview? It was during the press junket for the last one where Tom Hardy and Riz Ahmed were doing something with, I think it was like Buzzfeed and Tom Hardy, like his first, they were doing like a word association. His first word was, associated was threesome i forgot about that it was um, it was ign <laughs> uh venom star tom hardy stuns interviewer with awkward answer yeah they were asked to nominate their favorite scene for the new marvel film he said things that aren't in the movie and uh yeah all right so i'm Guessing because none of you said anything differently, you both are planning on being here next week? Oh, yeah. Yep. Again, barring disaster. But yes, that's the plan. That's uh, hard to come by these days. Well, what kind of disaster? Like maybe worldwide banking disaster? Because that could work <laughs> out in our favor. Did you say baking or banking? Banking. Okay. I'm, I'm really tired. <laughs> I started thinking of Great British Bake Off, which new episode on Netflix tomorrow. Yay! Apparently, it's a treasure the entire world is given. It's so good. It's just wholesome. Watch it. Oh, wholesome? Ted Lasso. If you haven't seen it, oh my gosh. I need to. I found a friend that has, that's going to let me borrow her Apple TV account. So, yeah, I'm going to watch that. Yeah, definitely. I made it halfway through the series so far. Worth it. Worth it. Totally worth it. I'm like, I don't know. Jason Sudeikis. I, yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so much heart, so much positivity. 
I keep hearing and like, that sounds so up my alley. Like all of that sounds so up my alley. He's, he's really, wow. I, I just can't explain it. It's, it's just really good. He, it's a cross between good comedy and, and heart and there's good story in there too. So even if things don't go the way that you kind of see in, in normal movies and stuff, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I like it. It's pretty good. And, but the drawback is it's on Apple TV plus. So you have to have an account on Apple yeah. TV plus in order to see it. I also watched where, why it was there, by the way, I watched the premiere episode of foundation. Another one that I've heard is pretty good. What did you think? So it's not your standard. It, it's as good as the expanse, but it's different because it's dealing with a different universe. Okay, you sold me. Okay. I mean, it's it's kind of limited. It, like, The Expanse has so much more in its universal coverage, but not at the be- at the beginning it didn't. And we're at the beginning of Foundation. I anticipate it growing quite big because they are talking about an entire universe, not just a solar system. So, yeah, it's going to get pretty big. And yeah, it's been, it was good. Two episodes are out now. Watch both of them. So that was good. And I got suckered in to watch a stupid morning show again. Ugh. <laughs> uh, I need to check that one out. I finished watching uh, Midnight Mass on Netflix. It's so good. And I just started Squid Game. I was going to start perusing Netflix to see what I need to catch up with over there. I highly recommend Midnight Mass. It's so it's kind of loosely horror, but it's more this whole thing about like faith and addiction. I think I just watched, or I, I need to catch up with the second season of Altered Carbon. Yeah, I heard it wasn't as good. Uh, I like, I want to watch it because Anthony Mackie, but I'm mad at the author, Richard Morgan. He's a piece of shit. And uh, yeah. Check out Assassination Classroom too, if you get a chance. <laughs> On Netflix? Yeah. If it was Hulu where we were watching it. Okay. Well, I've also been on Hulu. I've been watching Archer over there. I want to say Rick and Morty started yeah. there. I think Rick and Morty is available on HBO Max too. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. I went over to HBO Max. There wasn't anything like I missed all the movies coming out. Like I haven't seen the Suicide Squad and it's not there anymore. It'll be back um, sometime soon, like a month. I think there's only one movie over. Well, there's the Kong versus Godzilla movie. Yeah, that actually it's it's it came back. So I need to watch that. That's better than I had any right to be. Yeah. There's also one other that it's come out. I I don't remember the title, but it wasn't one of the ones that I was wanting to watch, but it was over there. So it's not much over on HBO Max for me right now. And I have. Did I peruse? I don't think I perused Prime too much. I know that there's a lot of good stuff on TV this or streaming this fall. Oh, that was what I was watching over on Hulu. Why the last man? Oh yeah. Way better than I thought it was going to be. Legends of shield is copyright 2013 through 2021.